In my world, there are no bad kids, just impressionable, conflicted young people wrestling with emotions and impulses, trying to communicate their feelings and needs the only way they know how. This quote comes from Janet Lansbury. I'm Raleigh. And I'm Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Getting a little funky today. Yep. That's right. Go big or go yep. home. That's what I'm saying. How was your first? Well, don't tell any. No, keep listening. Don't go home. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't stop listening. listening. Yeah. Don't stop listening. Don't stop believing. Don't that. Well, that too. That's that's it too. Yeah. How's your first full week of school? Pretty solid. I mean, it's always a learning curve, an adjustment period, if you will. Yeah. I feel like things are going full full tilt. Full tilt. Coming full in hot. Full tilt. It's Everybody been a, came it's in been hot. Quite the week. Yeah. Everybody quite came in hot. Quite the week this week. But it brought us to um, an idea for a topic because one of the things that I've been running into... I think for a while, but really it's escalated over the past couple of months is um, how we're supporting families in the home. Where's the line between what the school's responsibility mm. is and what is the responsibility of someone else that's not school, part, yeah, part, part of, of the school-based school. program. Um, and I've been having that conversation a lot because we've had a lot of kids who are doing okay or well in school and really struggling at home. And... You know, aside from us, like, from, a, like, a law standpoint, it feels like if it's not affecting school, it's really not our responsibility. But then, you know, I feel like there's just, there's so much happening in a home without the same resources that a school has. So where do you, where do you draw the line? Well, it's just so hard. Right. And I think it depends on the type of program that, or, you know, the school setting for the student or the child, because I think, obviously, a more restrictive school setting may have more carryover to the home. They may have more behavioral resources and ideas for what a parent can be doing in the home versus maybe more of a gen ed setting that has less of that social emotional training to be able to impart that to a home to home um, some of these kids might be getting services in the home and that you know that service provider needs to connect with school as well but it does feel a little bit like there's a boundary at times and i think it's it's depending on maybe the placement or where the kid is what type of program they're they're part of how much support they may be getting mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they're getting enough it doesn't mean they're getting the right things but if you know how do we make sure that there is a balance and there is there are boundaries and that we're not always feeling like the the education team is responsible to also be doing things in the home that feel like it's a it's a little bit too much for the you know too much of a again a boundary they're crossing well there are no there's no like rules to it it feels like and i feel like if the government state federal whatever were to say like here's where the line is drawn it would i think it'd be a lot easier for everyone but the resources that schools are given in general don't schools don't get enough resources no matter what type mm -hmm. of school it is mm -hmm. to be able to support a student 24 7 nor you know, do I necessarily think that that's always a fair assumption that's is that school yeah. should be responsible for all of that. Right. And I think, too, there's there's always that the just sort of, the, I think, the fact that kids are typically if they're doing well in school, that checks out in my brain that they're going to probably do better and have more, quote, expected student behavior in a school setting because it's not home, it's not mom, it's not dad, it's not grandparents. Right. And I think when we see kids keeping it together in school and falling apart at home, it can feel 
really, I think, challenging probably for a parent to see that their child can act a certain way and do what's expected in school. They can complete their work. They're respectful to teachers. They're keeping their body safe. And maybe they go home and there's more explosive behavior. And there are certain programs that students and kids may be in that they're getting more behavioral intervention in school. So that could carry over more to home. But what if it really is a kid that doesn't need that in school, but they need it at home? Mm -hmm. And how much is that responsibility falling on the school team to then provide that at home? Well, and often specific to special ed. So I think Mm -hmm. a theme that I don't, you know, we haven't like necessarily circled back to directly in the past few months is around the lack of people wanting to go to school for education in general, especially Mm -hmm. special ed. If I'm a special educator, like that's where these students are generally housed, right? Mm -hmm. It's under the, under the guise of, of special education usually, no matter what setting. Right. And so special educators are now being pressured to modify and differentiate instruction. And now they're feeling pressure from homes to say like, how are you going to, how are you going to support us? What are you going to do for us? And I feel like special ed in general is just such a small subset of, of people. And, you know, we were, you and I were talking earlier about some of the challenges I'm running into, um, in general with, um, the lack of training and understanding of special education right. across the board through no through no fault of anyone else. It's just the education systems don't allow for explicit training and instruction in special education. So now you're like really narrowing down the access to that families have for their students in the home. Mm-hmm. And you're putting a lot of pressure on one or two people. Well, and the other pressure can come from parents that maybe are expecting a school-based team we, I know we've touched upon this in the past, a school-based team to work on skills that are more traditionally considered home-based skills, things that you would not work on in a school setting. You may not work on kids brushing their teeth in school. You may not work on certain aspects of hygiene in school. And because a kid may be putting up a fight at home, it may be easier to put that on school and say, this is something they need to learn to do in school. And how do you kind of, well, number one, how do you create an understanding between parents and schools so that there isn't this um, kind of a conflict, and maybe that's too strong of a word, but there's not, there's a mutual understanding, yeah, Yeah, where we're trying to keep things where they they belong, so to speak, but that doesn't mean we can't inform and, and provide some ideas of what could work. But I think we get some of that where the expectation becomes, well, they're struggling with this at home. They're not listening to me. They're not doing this, whatever it is, X behavior. You know, they're not doing this thing that we expect them to do. So how do you do that in school? Work on in school. Make that part of something they're supposed to be doing in school. And now it's the burden just continues to increase on the school setting to be doing things that are beyond what you traditionally should be doing for students in school. And I think that also becomes a point of contention. For sure. And there are um, places out there that offer these supports outside of school hours. Mm-hmm. And I think in many settings, and I was fortunate enough when we worked together, the place that you still work in, we mm-hmm. worked together, had a lot of um, informed people working there and would offer, they would know about this the community-based agencies that you could yes. resource out yep. to. And I am not getting that same experience in a lot of other places. And I think a lot of families, a lot of schools, both public schools and private or um, more restrictive school settings, 
they don't either know enough about it or share it with families as openly about other options or opportunities. And I, I have, I often, it's like a light bulb goes off for people when I'm like, you know, that there are these community based, and again, I don't want to stretch their funding either, Mm -hmm. but you know, for a lot of families to have to do outside OT services for stuff that are more, that are home-based. Yes. Like brushing your teeth, for example, or, you know, anything, you know, you're the expert. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Hygiene, whatever, is really expensive for a parent hourly. And there are secondary insurance, um, there's secondary insurance that they can get. There is, in Massachusetts, the Department of Mental Health, the Department of Developmental Services. And I feel like those are undervalued, under-resourced agencies that also have access to more than schools have. And I feel like we get often, because we're the public school or the school setting, we often are the first line of defense for families. And if you don't know about these other services, you end up getting in this legal battle with Mm -hmm. families about something that's not a school-based service. Right. And I mean, it's like, I think it, it's hard to feel like it's getting taken out on the -hmm. school, you know, that it's, this is, and I can appreciate the mindset of like, my child does really well there and and all the feelings associated with why they may or may not, you know, why they're not doing well at home for whatever Mm -hmm. reason and how that they're all the feelings associated with that, the guilt and the frustration and, you know, the anxiety around that. But I think we have to come to some understanding of what's really expected in that situation for from a school team, especially if you're talking about like a teacher, a TA, what's expected for a teacher to be mm-hmm. addressing at home behaviorally. And I think understanding, like you're saying, like what agencies, what other options exist to provide that support, but there also needs to be that real education for parents around some of the the behaviors that maybe have become learned and getting reinforced maybe not intentionally but that piece of it's also part plays a part because kids can maybe play their parents in a way that they can't play the school because it's again it's mom and dad it's grandparent it's whomever versus a teacher and a bit, and rotating adults and a lot of resources yeah right. like you have a lot of adults speaking, yeah. maybe with one or you know especially if you have certain kids that are identified as having some needs in school or they're you know they have needs but they maybe don't have the huge behavior at school they have a team of people that are maybe helping at home. That person is one, maybe two. Mm -hmm. So I understand that side of it, but I think it's, it's also parents being open-minded to some of the approaches and being able to, to stick with certain things that are being recommended. So like this kind of comes off of maybe more of a gen ed and going more to like a specialized Mm -hmm. setting where you're giving recommendations to home and you get that like pushback of, this is we've done this it doesn't work or you know there's that collaboration piece that really needs to happen as well but it's i'm seeing more and more of like families are really struggling with Mm -hmm. kids that maybe traditionally would not have needed to be either placed out or need this much you know intervention um and we've been talking about this since we started this podcast of kids with anxiety depression um you know let diminished coping skills that are really struggling in school well, and it brings us uh, to me, and this isn't because and we're not. Oh, what? And, 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 and yeah, and we're not saying like to be clear. Like none of us are saying anyone. Neither of us are saying anyone's doing anything wrong, or that the approach isn't okay. Like what well, to me, it all circles back to a larger systems issue that mm-hmm. there's something wrong with how we have this approach, and without d- diving too much into it. But I think about 
I think very similarly about our general educators as I do with families. We don't offer enough training. Mm-hmm. I mean, I <laughs> I was talking to our special ed council um, and just coming up with ideas of like, could I videotape myself with trainings that they could put on their website so that way if they needed help mm-hmm. accessing or like ideas for OT, I may consult with you and say yeah. like, can I pay you to put a video on this website so that way if a parent is struggling with hygiene that they might be able to click that access um, because I think we don't have time. None of us have time for it, but I wholeheartedly believe this should not fall back on special education or mm-hmm. on teachers whole, wholly. Mm-hmm. Like we're all a team. I understand that. And how do we help support each other without blaming or shaming? Well, and we also, you know, how do you get into it sooner? Um, mm-hmm. You know, where you're getting to kids before they're 12 and 13. Um, because none of these things typically behaviorally based aren't starting. We, I mean, unless there's some traumatic event that occurs around that age, but some of these things just grow and become out of control with, you know, time and more and more exposure to things. And so I think if we can intervene on a school level early, we were, Mm -hmm. we've talked about this a lot, that social emotional training for kids and adults earlier on in a kid's educational career, maybe that does start to translate to home and you're offsetting some of these issues. You're not getting so far into the trenches where things are becoming so learned and, you know, depending on the brain, and the types of brains we're dealing with, you know, if you're dealing with more concrete thinkers who are very cause and effect oriented and see, hey, I don't do this and look at the reaction I get. Mm-hmm. I, I push back physically and I don't have to do it or I refuse and I go to my room and nobody can stop me and change my plan. You know, it's there's a lot of different, you know, levels of it, but um, I think it is required to like start thinking about how to intervene sooner because, you know, when kids are getting to be teenagers, we're getting a little it's getting harder to. Yeah. To change the course. Well, I, I think about that with kids who get a later on autism one diagnosis, which was formerly high functioning autism, mm-hmm. Asperger's, NBLD, those mm-hmm. type of disabilities where they're super capable kids, yes, and, yeah. but still need that concrete. Do not need ABA, but need like that well, concrete and intervention. They're, they're not, I mean, I don't know if you want to go as far as to say hidden disability, but they're yeah. not always identified so easily because they're, they're bright and they're socially um capable enough to pass through in the younger ages which <laughs> yes, is like correct. that so that's the conversation i've been having oh my gosh over the course of the past couple of years within the, within the public school world because these kids hit middle school and i was like and i'm like how has nobody noticed that they've had autism Aut- whole time? autism, or, or autism, autism traits and autism <laughs> disability which yes. is different than the medical diagnosis yes, yes. so um the educational disability or they're missing some social they, yeah. you know they're, they're they have some social differences and maybe there are gaps in their educational, yeah. you know, capability. Like, oh, math is really strong, but we're finding, you know, or vice versa, like reading is really strong. Or, math. you know, we're finding these discrepancies and that child has now had anxiety over it and low self-esteem over it and has maybe big reactions to small problems. And what is happening? What did we miss five years ago? Well, and at the elementary level, it's easy to miss because yeah. they may be a little quirky, but things are concrete. Yeah relationships right. are just establishing so they're very surfaced as younger children yeah. um and so i think teachers see that and are just like oh you know their brains just work differently which is great um and, or they're a little slower on the yeah. curve you know they're, they're yeah. on the they're on the they're slower to catch up but yeah. they're but they'll get there they're we right. have a long time and that. and there's a lot more um not there's a lot more re um uh, not a lot more strategies put in place mm-hmm. in the elementary years. Yeah. I think things the pressure just goes 
um, into middle school and high school. So I think it's like you miss it at elementary because you, you're giving them everything that they need mm-hmm. and then some. But how do we help figure out how to identify, identify that stuff sooner? I guess my point is, is like, how do we help families earlier on generalize the skills or figure out like what, figure out how to help support them without putting all the pressure on the teachers who are already mm-hmm. doing so like what, what kind of skills do we want to share with them? How do we want, or, and by teachers, I mean, educators, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. related service providers, yes, adjustment the counselors, team. school counselors, all of that. Right. Like how do we help? In the same way we do that in the school setting of like, how do we identify this sooner? How do we figure this out sooner? Right. So think about like if there's a student struggling in a related service area, what are we like? We're certainly not assuming that or, or considering that just receiving, say, two pull out OT sessions a week is going to be enough to catch a student up or work on, you know, improving skills in a certain area. We really need to make sure they're getting the modifications, the accommodations that they need, the strategies they need in the classroom to be successful, to generalize and carry over those skills. What are we doing in, like, what are some similar things you could recommend for home? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you tell me all the time the things that we do are not, even though I'm like, this is just kind of the the way we we just automatically do things where I am, but it's not always the first thing people think of. But Mm -hmm. I think, even things like having a structure in the classroom where the kids know the schedule. Could it be something as simple as what's the schedule? You know, what is the schedule for the day for home? Even though that seems silly to have to talk about 8 a.m. we have breakfast and 8.30 we're doing this. Starting with that type of predictable routine, what's expected of you, child X, you know, what's expected of you during this time? Um, And sort of that idea of what is it that makes them successful somewhere else? Obviously, again, taking into consideration the relationship is different, but how can you structure it that it doesn't put a a heavy burden on the family, Mm -hmm. but these are not, these are the sort of that, I always talk about like a a sort of like a response intervention mindset of like, what's your first tier of strategies that you can try that are just very easy to suggest to a family that doesn't take a lot of your extra time to think about. Um, Well, and I think about like, so the home assessments in the, in the years that I've seen them are very um, driven by an ABA approach or done by a BCBA. Right. Not to say that that does not have its place because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's about kids' behavior in the home. However, I'm wondering like if if there was some person in the world or some company or community or people like your like how your brain works where it's like the strategies mm-hmm. and the supports and how do you put checklists together and something as simple as schedule instead of like you need X reward system yeah. like what how do we help share that and i guess there is no structure or answer from like a a larger systems yeah. level and i think that's the bigger issue which we obviously can't solve as our as us too well and it's it, it, and unfortunately yes <laughs> it's also a very individualized situation yeah. because i think you have you know i think you have there are parents out there that are doing all of these things mm-hmm. and still ha- and still struggling and it's a much deeper issue you have parents who maybe this would be like oh I have to be a little more explicit in how I break things down. And would that be enough in that situation? It could be. Um, but I think, like you're saying, do you? What, at what point are we going, okay, well, this is the first level is kind of some very basic recommendations that maybe would be applicable in both places. The second thing is, okay, we need to look at how do you get maybe a more in-depth um, intervention for the home where is there a school personnel, a, a, per, a school person affiliated with an 
how do I say this? That they can go into the home and it's affiliated with the school. Right. So it's with it, it's baked into the programming that you have somebody who could connect with a parent and talk about it. Even if you don't have to go into the home all the, you know, often or whatever. I've seen that with kids that we end up getting, that there is a piece that before they got to us, there was intervention in the home. A kid that maybe was struggling to get to school on time or get to school at all, sending in whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a counselor, somebody that can bridge that gap between the two places and try to establish a behavior plan or some kind of, you know, whatever, any sort of understanding of what would work successfully. And then what's the third thing? Is there now like an an agency that comes in that's not affiliated with the school Mm. that's now going even deeper in linking the two together because there should be some sharing of information but not putting that onus on the school so much as like this is the home-based team right well and i think then then you're not even throwing the wrench in it where you have work two working parents or Mm -hmm. a single parent or you know uh parents who's working multiple jobs like how do you help you know that's like a whole nother topic for a whole nother day because there those resources can be there but if if there's not consistency in the home that's well, a different it's a and that's that, not a bad no one's no that's no and it's the thing that i ask actually i'll say to teachers yeah. like we'll we'll sit there and have a meeting on a student and it's like okay let's try this and this and this and this and like at some point i just look at the teacher's face like completely glossed over and yeah. i say hold on a second is this actually something you can do right okay we list, listed seven things like which of those seven could you right. actually do that doesn't feel like you are burning yourself out it's right. a burden it's too hard so I think that same thing works for families. Like we can suggest a bunch of things, but what actually feels doable that you can work into your life as it or, is. Yeah. Or are there um, before or after school programs mm-hmm. that can help develop some That's of these too. skills that, yeah. you know, aren't necessarily, that could be part of the school, like if the school has those offerings, but that's where I, again, those um, other community-based agencies like a Department of Mental mm-hmm. Health, like a, have access to these resources. But so should... And fund them. Or maybe I'm wrong. Should adjustment counselor, guidance counselor positions understand that as well? Maybe, but they don't have access to those resources. Like I think about times... Well, what could, we, they su- could they suggest some of those same? They could, yeah, and I think... And that's why I also think there isn't enough training for, for them. The, right, yeah, yeah. To be able to have those... Because I, I, again, having the experience in a more restrictive setting, we've worked with all of those people mm-hmm. so for me i know that there's something in this town yeah. an agency here that would do it i know that you have to apply for the dmh but, services like you're saying times though, before you actually get it not like, everyone in your position has like you're right. unique to have that training and have exactly. that experience and, and that's yeah. and i think that's the same for public schoolers in general mm-hmm. whether you're special ed gen ed adjustment counselors school right. counselors school psychologists principals assistant prin- like most of those roles have no idea what's in the community and what's available and and I feel for them and I this is like somewhat off topic but I think about like kids who are just identified um and like parents who want to be supported because their student was just identified with a disability Mm -hmm. and it's like here you go here's all this language here's all this crap good luck (laughs) and there's no and if that's that onus shouldn't be on the school but there's no other resources for that parent sounds like a um budding business opportunity for someone yeah, out there feeling ambitious yeah. enough to yeah. create their own well we'll be happy to consult but we would want to open it ourselves yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i think it's an this is i feel like an ongoing challenge and in, there's like a systems-wide issue in general statewide federal that is unsolvable yeah. but hopefully some of these 
ideas are helpful for those our listeners. Yeah. So, all right, I have a would you rather for you. Okay. Um, and I'm, I thought this was kind of funny. Would you rather have to hunt? Let me rephrase. Hold oh. on. The way I said that was really corny. <laughs> okay. Would you rather have to hunt for all of your food, for everything you eat, mm. or only eat McDonald's for every meal? All right, so I'm going to reference multiple things here. I'm going to say that I've seen documentaries on both eating McDonald's for every meal and surviving in, like, say, the Alaska wilderness, hunting and and surviving in in that way, eating your um, food that you find and kill yourself or harvest. And I hate both options. So I'm going to have to say, ooh... So much sodium in McDonald's. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of salt. <laughs> a lot of salt and saturated fat. Uh, no, I mean, you know, they're getting better, right? They're doing better. Yeah. I'm going to have to say, I guess I'm going to hunt for my own food. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% McDonald's every day. All right. That's fair. I am also a, a highly picky eater. Yeah, that's fair. So, so I, but once you go through that whole menu, are you going to be bored? I mean, it's, I'm probably getting a double cheeseburger Look, I'm gonna, every single Right, time. and I'm going to be there sitting, eating squirrel and being yeah. really mad yeah. that I didn't have the double cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. So that's fair. Or, or, or a cockroach. Right. Well, if it comes down to it. Yeah, you yeah. might have to. I mean, you've seen Naked and Afraid, right? I have. I've seen Survivor Man. Yeah. I've seen it all. Survivor Man. All. Oh, yeah, I know. So I'll place my heart for yeah. that. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully this was helpful. A little bit different take on this episode. Yeah. Um, feel free to follow us at Unstuck Podcast 1. And um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.